Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. It's always so hard to believe this, but we are wrapping up season five. Okay, this is the second to last episode and the very final time that we'll be sitting down with Dr. Ryan Hanning this season. It's a very special conversation. We talk about his upbringing, his childhood, specifically how his grandparents taught him the the importance of suffering and of love. And perhaps most radically, this very fundamental truth that beliefs make demands, right? It's I guess easy to forget that when you're living in a sort of culturally comfortable era of human history, uh, you know, where where the faith is sort of taken for granted, perhaps where beliefs aren't questioned, but we're not living in such a time. You know, right now, if you're a Christian trying to live in this post-Christian culture, you're getting attacked on all sides. And therefore, our beliefs or in a very obvious way, making demands on us. They're making demands on our reputation, demands on our careers. But even more intimately, our beliefs should make demands on our soul, right? Our beliefs should shape how we spend every single day, how we spend our weekends, and perhaps most importantly, how we live our lives. And that's very much what today's conversation is all about with Dr. Ryan Hanning. I'll be back with him in just a second. But for now, get pumped, okay? Because I got a little song coming from Dawson Hollow called Tomorrow, which is a little sneak peek of what's coming on Thursday. Don't forget to go to lovegoodlive.com and get signed up now for your front row seat to our live stream concert with Dawson Hollow. Again, this is Tomorrow off of their brand new album. Sands of time, you drop them down. Who's like the tick-tock How you doing? Good, good, man. Um, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm excited about this talk. Well, I was going to say, it's the last episode that you'll be on, at least for this season. Is this now three seasons in a row? I think so. You've been a contributor? I think so. This is like, my, this is like the highlight. And were you always in Nashville? I guess you must have moved here. And then right after that, I was like, we're doing something. Yeah, I think we moved here for this. And I didn't know it at the time, sense. but maybe <laughs> this is why we came out to Nashville. Well, see, this is what's so funny is I really do have a... I would say a really like a, a personal and and just deeply held sense of like who y'all are as a family and even what motivated to move across the country. And I just really do love y'all so much. But I I recognize often when I overhear people getting to know you and, and hearing parts of your story, there's still a lot that I don't know. 
so much that I don't know, but maybe specifically just about you. So maybe that'd be a fun thing to to get into yeah, today. What, but what don't you know? I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, I just think there's a lot of incredible adversity that's been overcome. I, I mean, a lot of people's lives are about overcoming adversity. And, you know, we talked about this called months ago, but just the role that suffering plays in, in a sense, like carving out or chiseling out who we become, you know, and, and how well do we suffer? Yeah. And what where do our affections really lie at the end of the day? And what really makes our heart break? I mean, that is so wrapped up in our identity, right? But I do often have these moments. I'm like, it can't just be that he read this somewhere. You know, I, I know that you're not just a brilliant scholar, Ryan. I, th- I think you're deeply living the truths that you that you hold I mean, you must nearest only, and dearest. You must always see me on good days. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I mean, what, you guys said you had three animals that that passed yeah, away. Yeah, we had, we had I mean, rough. My poor kids too. Like, you know, we're you know we're we're homesteaders learning by. But you know, our our homestead's a museum of, of my mistakes. Like, <laughs> and you're right. I've, I've never seen you, you know, right there in the, in those kinds of moments of crisis, and you're trying to probably comfort all the kids, and suddenly dealing with three very large dead animals. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like, crazy stuff. Kind of surreal. I mean, the reality that like, we've sanitized like death and suffering, which is really sad because we can learn so much in it. And like, you know, we raise our animals both to provide sustenance for our family, but also to provide you know a, a way in which to steward and be responsible for the gifts God has given us. So mm-hmm. for us, it, it is a very, you know, like I mentioned, your last conversation, the sacramental imagination, it is very sacramental in the sense that we are we are entering into the fruits and gifts of the Lord and 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 preparing them in such a way that they would benefit us and allow us to live out the mission he's given us. I mean, that was the norm for most of, this is not like, we're not, we're not, re, we're not, res, you know, we're not doing anything new. If anything, we're just entering back into what, you know, normality ought to be, which mm. is that, you know, my grandparents, majority of the food that they ate didn't come from the supermarket. You know, he was a fisherman, commercial fisherman. Yeah. You know, like, of course, he, you know, he would take a portion of his own, you know, business and, and what they did and, and, and use that food for their own sustenance. And so, you know, this is not anything new to human history, but it's certainly new to me. Yeah. And so we're trying to figure it out and, and enter into that. But yeah, it can be rough. And we've, you know, we're, we're learning as we go. But those moments in which I have to be, you know, both leaning into the suffering myself and trying to help my kids navigate that. Yeah. Are particularly difficult. And, you know, my wife and I, you know, praise God we have each other to do that with each other. But that that can be a real challenge. And luckily for me, I mean, most of my most of my story, you know, throughout my life has been praise God that He has given me so many amazing people to to suffer with me well. See, and this is you just know? it is so obvious to me. And this would have been from the moment that we met, that you you have suffered well, but very likely from a young age too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, where so, you've come from and, you know, the 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 pearls of wisdom you're just sort of throwing at us all day, every day on this podcast. Again, I know they're not just previously read in a book. Yeah, some of them are. So I'll give full credit where credit is due. But yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, I'm a, I'm a product like so many of, our, of us today, so many of our homes. I mean, my parents got divorced when I was five years old. I lived in, I think, I think it was 10 different homes by the time I was eight. You know, bounced around, and at that time in like developmental psychology in the eighties, you know, there's a sort of pervasive thought that like you know self esteem was the most important thing, and then giving the kid the ability to make decisions. So I remember being eight years old and, and a magistrate or a mediator for the the court saying, "Oh, who do you want to live with?" As if you know, an eight year old can decide. So I mean, yeah, we went through that tumultuous sort of upbringing. God bless my parents; both married at a very young age, probably unprepared. You know, we had, you know, my, my father was married four times. I've had, I've, you know, I have six brothers and sisters. Each of us are from a different union. I mean, mm. every single one of us 
And some of us are very close because we went through very traumatic times together. But I was blessed because not in any of those times I not know I was loved. Mm. Whether it be through my grandparents or my parents or so even those times when when you know, by all standards it, it would look like myself and my sisters were receiving the short end of the stick. We were never alone. Like we always had people of faith and people of, of, of great love that intervened, which we're really lucky for. Amazing. So, you know, part of and part of our upbringing was just the reality of dealing with the brokenness of sin. And so my, my daughter, when she was a little girl, she wanted to do a family tree. So we did it and it looked like a big bush, you know? So we joked, it's like a study in sin and like God's just redemptive grace, right? And so it's amazing because my parents are really amazing people and they're amazing grandparents. And in many ways, like look at my mom, who's a single mom, raised my brother and I, like my brother and I joke. And like every year we look at my mom, we're like, I don't know how you did a mom, right? <laughs> like, you know, but yeah, it, it meant there's a lot of rough times and it's the same rough times that a lot of families have dealt with, you know? But praise God, there was really two steady streams in all of that. And the steady stream was, you know, one of them was that my grandparents, who were rocks on both sides, my dad's side, my mom's side, were both people of deep faith. Like, I mean, like a, a deep, beautiful, abiding, simple faith. Like, if you were to ask my grandmother, why do you go to church on every Sunday? She'd be like, what, there's a better use of my time? Like, she has like this, this, this proper priority. Like, hey, no, there is a God. I'm not God. And he's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my worship. Yeah. And look, when I do that, I can just tell you after 85 years of life, things go better for me, right? <laughs> like you, know, you talked about any of the moral precepts. And for her, it's not like this like shallow piety. It's like real, and she's a very, I mean, my, my grandmother on my my dad's side, God bless her, is you know, very well-educated, immigrated from, from Austria shortly after World War II. Yeah, I mean, she's an amazing rock star. Like she lived under the Nazis. Like she has stories of protecting her little brother when German troops came in and took over the family farm, took over the family apartment. I mean, she's known real adversity. And for her, like, there's no question on this stuff. Mm -hmm. like, she just, her her beliefs make demands that she doesn't see as, as an imposition. She says, sees as an invitation to live well. Like, mm -hmm. just think of that mindset for a moment. Like, yeah. all right, I believe these things. And because I believe them, they make demands. And because I'm a person of integrity, I enter into those demands with joy. Yeah. Even when they're hard. Yeah. Like, that's, that's really beautiful. And so I had I had grandparents who lived that way. And truthfully, I mean, my my you know, my father, God rest his soul, and my mom, you know, both had that too. But much of that was sort of developed, you know, as my brother and I came into adulthood. Yeah. But when we were kids, they were kids too. Wow. Yeah, they're trying to figure it out. Mom was working 60 hours a week in California trying to raise two kids. You know, I mean, can you imagine? Like, mm. you know, so so much of my story is just trying to figure out, you know, where God has been working in those moments and just being, you know hindsight's 2020, which I love the fact that we're in year 2020 because I keep asking people like- Actually, yeah, we're not anymore. Oh, that's right. We're not. Well, yes. we came out of that year, but you know, but that, can we expect really hindsight in 2020, right? <laughs> no, so, man. but you know, but the reality is that God is working all of our lives. And so a lot of my own healing and stuff coming from, so my, my past trauma was just like recognizing like, God is there in it. And like, we can lean into that. And it's a great mystery of why he lets it happen. But mm. as a father now to 10 kids, I can't protect my kids from everything. Yeah. And I've recognized that that all I can really do is be there because they have free will. Right? Like, I can't force myself on them. Mm. And like, so now like all these pings go off all the time in my head where I'm like, oh, that's how God feels. Oh, mm. you know, imperfect father though I am, this is what God's trying to teach me. Mm. So it's like a constant revelation as I grow into my own fatherhood, you know, and hopefully I'm doing it well. I have yeah. one kid off in college and, you know, to be a senior. Crazy. Your kids are amazing, right? We're super blessed. Yeah, we don't so deserve the, We don't deserve blessed. the kids we have. Yeah, they're amazing. This phrase though, you know, beliefs make demands. I, I don't know at what point that became more intuitive to me. I certainly haven't heard that phrase, maybe ever, but certainly not frequently in my life. 
I, I can remember distinctly being in high school and realizing for the first time that I, I wanted to know what I believed. Mm. And that began a real process of pursuing God. And, you know, I remember coming across Jeremiah 29, 11, yeah. we've all heard it a million times, plans. you know, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And then it goes on. This is the part that I, I didn't discover until years later. You know, when you seek me, you will find me. Yeah. And more specifically, it goes on to say, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me, you know? And I think that's actually what began happening in high school. There was this seeking, there was this tremendous desire for God that I couldn't quite articulate. I certainly wasn't receiving much faith by osmosis at that point. If anything, I was getting a lot of kind of strange theology in my Catholic high school when I was getting, you know, really good virtue and character formation at home, but not necessarily learning how to pray mm -hmm. and, you know, the real pivotal importance of the sacraments, all of that came later. But this initial reality that that faith was something worth pursuing mm -hmm. and that over time, this kind of process of integration, as I would call it now, began unfolding to where I realized that it, it wasn't enough to just believe it or certainly to build one hour of my week around it, but that in fact, it, it needed to in a sense, be appropriated in every aspect of yeah. my life. And that's kind of where the real conversion began. I think in college, hmm. where suddenly I recognized that the, the demands were at a pretty high level. Yeah. If I was going to live this Christian life, I needed to live up to the, the, the standards. And that of course meant morality, but it, maybe for me at the time, mostly meant prayer. Hmm. It meant like Jesus really being not just an important part of my life, but the the sum total of my heart's affection. Like I would hear people talk like that and I would recognize this gap between who they were yeah. and who I wanted to be. And I really believe and, and have been building my life on this belief ever since that Jesus is the one who closes that gap, yeah. who makes it possible to live an integrated life where the belief and the demands are aligned and our, our lives have that, that sense of unity that I think we all long for, that fourth transcendental yeah. of unity that no one talks about, yeah. but that integrates it all. And we see it in other people, right? This is why, I mean, the number one thing young adults want is authenticity. Mm. Like this is why, every, this is the whole background of woke culture is that <laughs> consumeristic companies are trying to, to prove they're authentic to who they are. And now they create a brand and a mission and a goal, which really has nothing to do with who they are. Yeah, I mean, Coke just wants to sell soda, right? They don't, they don't have a dog in the game one way or the other. That's what they want. But people want authenticity. So marketers know they have to sort of speak this way because this is what a generation longs for. But it's kind of odd because prior to very recently, you know, people who didn't live authentic lives, I mean, go back to Dickens, right? Every story of Dickens has the chump right? The, like the, the, <laughs> the loathable character. And what Dickens does, how he paints that loathing is not that they're adulterous or not that they're a gambler, which they are, but the problem is really they're not living, you know, in an integral way. Yeah. They're, they're, they're essentially acting as one person here and one person here. There's a, there's a scandal. There's a disintegrity, you know, disintegrity. I mean, they're literally, think of that for a moment, disintegrity, you know, the, the, this idea of splitting apart this rupture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for me and for my own background, I mean, if, if for every moment in my life, I was probably inspired and compelled something good is because I, I encountered somebody of integrity that knew who they were or even knew who they wanted to become. Yes. Like you can have integrity knowing your shortcomings. Like this is why you know, we can say, hey, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner who's, you know, God has looked on in his favor and, you know, and called to himself. And so, you know, this idea of, of, of really 
allowing our beliefs to make demands and actually mm. impact the way we live. And yeah. we already do this. That's the good news, right? Like pretty much all of you listening to podcasts right now probably did not wake up this morning and test gravity. You probably assumed that the physical force of gravity were still in effect, right? You didn't like open the door fearful that you would float up into, you know, in outer space, right? Because you've you've come to you know believe a certain thing that then affects the way you live and move in the world. Mm. And this is true with physical properties, as it is with spiritual properties. You know, this is why when, when we don't live in accord with our nature, why it hurts us so much. Yeah. This is why sin disforms us, you know? And so the reality is that these beliefs, these deeply held beliefs make demands, and those demands are not an imposition. Mm. They're, they're an invitation to live according to our nature. That's so cool. Not an imposition, but an invitation yeah, they're to not, live they're according not, to our nature. Like, can you imagine like cursing gravity? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, that might work when you're like a five-year-old and you're mad because you fell. It doesn't work when you're like, you know, a 16-year-old diving off a 30-meter cliff, you know, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's a reality we have to take certain responsibility. And so I think so much of, of the Christian call, and maybe even just at a deeper level, the human call is to, to live in accord. I mean, the, the ancient Greeks would say this, right? To live in accord with your telos. I mean, this is the Athenian school, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Lyceum was about discovering what is the telos of things and how can we organize those things in accordance to what their nature and purpose is. Yeah. And beliefs make demands. And so this is, but this is revolutionary, unfortunately, nowadays. I mean, even some of the founders of our country, I mean, Locke famously wrote that it was immoral, immoral to give a surplusage, I love that word, surplusage, to give surplus belief to things you didn't have direct certitude of. Hmm. Now, does anyone actually live that way? No. Oh my gosh. Look at social media. You know, so like, so he was literally saying it's immoral to have faith. It's immoral to believe in something that you don't have direct apodictic certitude of. Well, but like justice and love and those, we don't have apodictic direct certitude of. We have hope for, Mm. we have yearning for, we have desire for. So Newman, in his great work, The Grammar of Ascent, says, no, 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 no. Belief is is not like that, Mr. Mm. Locke. And he actually, this is his main interlocutor. Mm. And he said, no, 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 belief and, and, and religious belief, faith makes demands on the believer Mm. And the believer is invited to to live in accord with those things. And he, he creates a new word, which only you know scholars of Latin can do. So he calls it the illative sense. Illative, uh, if you speak Spanish, you got or means to carry. It's that sense which carries you to belief. Mm-hmm. And the truth is we don't come to believe in things because we have apathetic certitude. We come to believe in things, what he calls sort of this conspiracy of converging ideas, right? evidence from other people, from people we trust. And he uses the great example of England. Yeah, He says, I've always grown up believing and assenting to England is an island. And he creates a distinction between belief and assent. So belief is those things that we believe in, but don't demand action, right? Assent is something that we'd actually die for. Mm. He famously says, no man will die for an opinion, but they'll they'll die for a dogma, right? Die for a deeply held belief, a conviction. And he says, but I've always believed, you know, England's an island because every map I've ever seen says England England's an island. Every person that ever spoke about England says England. In our in our national anthem it says England is an island, right? Hmm. So in other words, it's not irrational or immoral to believe that, even though I haven't gotten on a book and circumnavigate our boat and circumnavigated England. No, I, I come to believe that and that that belief makes demands. Mm-hmm. And that is an imposition of my freedom, Mr. Locke, right? So he, he really, for whatever good Locke is in terms of understanding political theory, he's not very good at understanding epistemology and how we know or yeah. what it means to believe. And Newman points this out. So no, faith is actually a deeper level of belief. Mm. Faith is much more like assent. So if we believe that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, life, what demands does that make on me? Mm. If Jesus says, you know, the, 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 the pure of heart shall see God, what does that mean for how I ought to live? Yeah, so 
the reality is, is that, you know, whether, whether what we believe is about the physical world or about the spiritual world, we ought to be living in integrity with what we believe. And if we're uncertain of it, then we ought to do more to affirm our belief. Yeah. It's just so cool. You're reminding me of one of my favorite students right now. You're not allowed to have favorites, but I do. <laughs> and without naming any names, he, you know, he came into this school year. You know, for those who don't know, I'm working full-time at an all-boys Catholic high school in Tampa, Florida right now yeah. called Jesuit, director of campus ministry. So my whole life, my whole work on that campus is basically the spiritual lives of the students. I just get to help them fall in love with Jesus. Wow. It's like such a dream, you know? But this one kid, he, he's probably in the discipline office from what I understood every other week at the beginning of the school year. I mean, he was always getting into trouble for something. Then he comes on one of our retreats. Every kid has to go on at least one retreat a year in order to graduate. So I run about 18 retreats a year down there. And at one point he gets into a, a ton of trouble with one of his best friends on this retreat. It led to one of the more intense disciplinarian moments of my entire life. I had 40 high school age boys pretty much peeing in their pants. They were so terrified of the consequences of what was happening before them. And I had learned all this like over the phone five minutes prior. Like I got all my pedagogy from our Dean of Discipline who was a rock star at this stuff. So he's like, Jimmy, just sweat them out. Here's sweat what you do. Here's what you do. Out. Yeah. If they don't say anything, tell them to pull out paper and to write down everything they know. And you literally wait until somebody owns it. And it was ended up actually not being a big issue, but at one point we thought it was going to be a big issue. And it turns out this kid was at the heart of it, right? The point is he was living anything but an integrated right. life at the beginning of this school year. After this retreat, ends up having a fairly profound encounter with the Lord mm. that began integrating his life to where had he been, you know, if he was in discipline every other week at the beginning of the year, suddenly he was in campus ministry every other day. Wow. Like we couldn't get rid of him. It was the best thing ever. And suddenly he's forming a, a small group, a discipleship group with wow. a bunch of his friends. And now they're all like trying to really overcome struggles with purity and chastity together. Wow. And they're challenging each other to, to read the entire New Testament together. I think the initial plan was before Christmas, maybe it'll wow. be, you know, before the end of the school year. What's funny is along the way, I was realizing this kid wasn't Catholic. And obviously it's a Catholic high school, a Jesuit run Catholic high school with really, really great, rich Catholic theology everywhere you turn, Catholic culture from the top down. And he was definitely struggling intellectually with a lot of the doctrines of the church. And so I was just really moved watching him think out loud about justification, think yeah. out loud about the true presence, think out loud about Mariology and just things that we would sort of take for granted as Catholics. He's really going for it, really like seeking after the Lord and seeking after the truth on these things. But what I noticed is as time went on, his life was becoming more and more integrated. Oh, yep. His heart was more and more alive. And it wasn't like his intellect at any point shut down. Yeah, it's not suppressed. No, it's, it's not liberated. at all suppressed. If anything, it was liberated and suddenly faith and knowledge were sort of coming together in a way that not only made profound sense to him at the, at the level of his intellect, mm -hmm. it was now being like deeply lived sort of yeah. in his very being. So before you know it, he's joining RCIA. And as of last week, the joke amongst all of his friends is, you know, father this, father that. He really thinks and he now wants to be a be. priest. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's what they would like, call him to. The kid who's like getting into all the trouble, suddenly getting all of his friends on fire for Jesus and for the faith and for growing in holiness and virtue together is now in the process of potentially becoming Catholic and might even end up at some point down the line becoming a priest. That's beautiful when you think about faith or beliefs yep. 
having demands. And, this is and how he's it, allowing those demands to have their effect on his life. Isn't that beautiful? You just said, the, to the extent we allow those demands to actually make, I mean, think of marriage. Like, like I can't, can you imagine if I were to come in here today and be like, oh yeah, I'm 99% faithful to my wife? Like that would not <laughs> cut it, right? Like you're either all in or you're not. And, yeah. and there's a lot of beliefs, not just religious ones, but like I mentioned gravity and others that mm. once you know that they do make demands in your life and they're again, they're not impositions or invitation to live in accord with your nature. Yeah. And, and the great truth of, and if, you know, sometimes people don't really understand this, you know, a sin is not just breaking God's rule. That's a really juvenile way of looking at it. A, a sin is, is not living, it's forgetting who you are yeah. and not living in accord with your nature. And, you know, and I say it almost every time I get an opportunity to speak to a group, you know, that it's something I've learned as a father. When my kids sin, I'm not angry. I'm really not. I'm not angry that they sin. You're sad. I'm sad. Yeah. I'm sad that they lived in a way not in accord with their nature. I'm sad they looked for happiness in a place that would never fulfill them. I'm sad they looked in, in, in a way of, of doing something that is, is not going to satisfy them or is insufficient, right? And so what I want in that moment is for them to integrate their life and yeah. say, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about, right? My beliefs make these demands on me. And, that, and that's the entire Christian life is about reintegrating. And it's so beautiful because the basic Christian theology is what? We have a division in our heart. Mm. Right? And the division is both between our being human and divine, right? Being made of God's image and likeness, but it's also this, this division that happens because sin distorts our nature. Mm. And so Christ comes in a very physical way to reunite, to reconcile God to man. And that's what we need in our lives. You know, Jesus becomes a unifying, integrating principle. And it's so sad because so many Christians, I think, haven't heard the gospel proclaimed that way. Mm. Right? They, they think like the gospel is something that they have to intellectually you know, attune themselves to rather than the gospel actually comes to set you free. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, Jesus is all about that. That's the other word I kept writing down as you were talking earlier is freedom. Yeah. I mean, this is for it. You know, I remember, so we were, we were at ranch together for fraternus and last year, I love, I love the comment from my boys too. So this, the past year I led, or two years ago, I led the boys and the year before I led the men. And so I made all the men the last day yell freedom, right? Because like, what's we're all looking for? And this is true. And they say, yelled freedom. I mean, the Braveheart, you know, version of freedom and it echoed down the canyon and our boys heard it. So some of the young boys down there started yelling back, freedom, echoing back up, you know? But the truth is what we all long for. And freedom isn't liberation from, from, proper freedom is, is an ability to be what you are. Mm. And that's so amazing. God wants to put us all back together. Yeah. God is a loving father looking at this child that, as C.S. Lewis said, is making mud pies on the beach when there's a feast of food to nourish them behind him. Mm. Mm. And all he's trying to do is gently tilt your head and say, that's not what you're made for. Yeah. C.S. Lewis does this in, I think, probably our favorite book, The Great Divorce, you know, where he uses analogies to describe this. But beliefs make demands. Authentic belief, that is belief in the truth, those demands aren't, you know, they're not, they're not impositions. They're not, they're not forceful. They make forces upon us, mm. but they really invite us to be more free, to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness. I mean, so much of the, the book that Tom and I wrote last year was, it was coming to this conclusion for ourselves. that like the, the virtues actually liberate us and allow us to become the men, the husbands, the fathers we're called to be. Mm. And, and that's the beauty of the Christian faith. Christ comes to put us all back together and oh. he meets us where we're at to call us out of this disintegrity mm. you know and i see it in the lives of my students i mean we live in a world that that really essentially forces people to be kind of schizophrenic in the sense that they it forces them to hold these things not in a in a proper tension but can you imagine as a most freshman students on, on college campuses are told you can know everything about the physical universe if you have enough time and the proper knowledge but you can know nothing about the movements of the human heart. Mm. 
Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Yeah. So the questions you want most answered, you can't get any answers. And then the, the questions that are the sort of important, but not, but clearly secondary about the physical world can be answered. That that, that disintegrity that happens, yeah. I can know everything about the, the deepest things of human life, but I can't ask the question of why. Mm. And so we live in a culture that essentially encourages disunity, encourages discordance, encourages disintegrity. And what we're being called to constantly by, by scriptures to be reintegrated. So we hear these amazing lines from St. Paul, right? To renew our minds, right? To align our will with God's, right? That God is, is Jesus comes, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so, you know, so much of, of our life and so much of my own life is trying to figure out what that looks like. Mm. How, how do the beliefs I have about who Christ is, how the beliefs I have about the type of father I want to be, how the beliefs I have about who my children are and, and, who, and who they're being called to be by the Lord, right? How do those impact the way I live? Mm. How does it impact the choices I make? And when I don't make the right choice, how do I reconcile myself to that? How do I, I not just walk, but run to the father? Yeah. You know, knowing that he'll, he'll help put it all back together. I mean, this is, the story of the prodigal son, right? Over the son forgets who he is and he doesn't have an epiphany. He's simply hungry. But the Lord's like, that's enough. Yeah, I'll work with that. And man, yeah. do we live in a time right now where people hunger for the truth. People hunger to be reintegrated mm. and to be invited to become the person that they are. Yeah. And here we have an entire church, an entire faith that, that, that ought to be with arms open to say, I know who you are, mm. even if you don't. And I'm going to remind you who that is in Christ. It's amazing. And I honestly never really anticipated fully what that would look like on a high school campus. Obviously until I landed in Tampa almost a year ago now, because I had a sense in my own soul that this world that we're living in is just increasingly coming up empty. It's just so disappointing. It's not bad, it's just insufficient. Yes, and so many of the institutions, whether they're political or, you know, entertainment or sort of media driven institutions, they're all just really, really disappointing. You know, at the end of the day, if you put too much of your love, too much of your hope, in them, you're just going to end up in despair, right? And so I didn't realize how deeply hungry the hearts of these young men were until they were showing up on campus and you could see it in their eyes because basically I couldn't see them from the nose down anyways. (laughs) So all I had to work with with was their eyes, you know? And you could just sense this, this openness, this desire for freedom, for integrity, for, for a life worth living, you know? And I get really excited the more I think about this, this idea of living in accord with your, your telos, your nature, yeah. your, your ultimate end. Because, you know, we, who, the, who in the world really knows what kind of era we're living through right yeah. now? What kind of era might even be coming to a close as a new one inaugurates? But I do believe that we should always be living as if it was the end times, as yeah. if it was the, the end of the world, the end of our lives, as if tonight was the last night we had. I mean, I, somewhere along the way, probably between divorce and death and other things, just decide this is the only way to live. Yep. As Chesterton says, this, this willingness to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Yeah. That is a freeing way to live. And I think these times that we're living through have made that possibility more and more real to a lot of people. Yeah. And so with that, I think does come an incredible opportunity to remind people their hope is ultimately in heaven. Their desire is ultimately infinite and only fulfilled in Christ. And that 
In fact, this integrity that we all long for can really only be brought about by Christ himself. And it starts now, it right? Does. That's like the beautiful thing. It's like, it's not just you know, a future event. It is, we're called to enter into it. Now, that's what the saints do. Yes. And yes. The saints are such amazing yes. witnesses yes. because you know, as inconvenient or as uncomfortable as they might make us, right? they point out to us the fact that you can actually live in accord with your nature yeah. here on earth. Sometimes it's long suffering. And we're yeah. talking, saints are not like perfect people. They're, they're sinners and murderers who are, converted and become mm. to believe in, in who they are. Yeah. And so because of that, live it out. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I often think of Jose Maria Escriva, you know, St. Jose Maria Escriva says, you know, we're not made saints in spite of our circumstances, we're made saints through them. Yeah. And the reality is we're, we're all called to this holiness. We're all called mm. to become the person God has made us to be. And God takes joy in our discovering that. Yeah. And that means being a person of integrity. That means allowing our beliefs to make demands in our life mm. and to enter into those demands joyfully yeah. as an invitation to become the person we're called to be. Now, I think of it this way. I remember a moment in my life, you know, where my aunt, my Aunt Mary, just an incredible woman, really a, 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 a mom through and through. You know, I was, I was struggling in a particular way in my life. And especially after a tumultuous relationship that my father had with, with uh, then my stepmom. And I remember being like really feeling sorry for myself and everyone else did. So everyone was giving me a pass, right? Here, here we are, this sort of like homeless ninth grader, like, you know, and I mm -hmm. really wasn't homeless. I had my grandparents, my mom was still around, but this is a weird situation. And my, my aunt like pulled me aside and was like, suck it up. Hmm. She, I mean, she literally just like, let me have it in a beautiful way saying, look, you might not know who you are, but I know who you are. Yeah. And like th those were her words. You might not know who you are, but I know who you are. And I know if you keep living this way, you'll never become that person. Wow. And so you got to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And here I'm like a 15 year old, be like, wow, okay. And she's like, look, I'll, me and your uncle, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll walk through this with you. And what I want for you is the same thing I want for my boys. My cousins who I grew up with were like brothers to me. Like, I know who you are. Mm. God knows who we are. God looks at each and every one of us as beloved sons and daughters. And that's what he's saying to us. Like, you're not your sin. I remember John Paul II, right? I think you might've been at Toronto too for World Youth Day. We served that mass in Downsview, wow. which is really cool. And he said that, you know, you are not the sum of your failures and weaknesses. You, you know, heard that live. I heard that live. <laughs> you know, you're not the sum of your failures and weaknesses. Right, you're, you are. You're the potential to become the, the son of God. Right, yeah, like the sum of the Father's love for you and your capacity to become who you capacity are. Capacity to become yeah. who you are. Ugh. I mean, just yeah. So I mean, you, this is the truth. So, so beliefs make demands, but praise God, they do. And let's yeah. live as people of integrity. And that means knowing what we believe, why we believe it, thinking through what does that mean for me, and how I'm called to live as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a brother, as a son, yeah. as a daughter, as an employee, as a yeah. teacher, as a campus. I mean, like just go on and on. Like you know. At the end of the day, what's going to attract people to the Lord is Christians living their life as if it matters. Yeah, and never tiring of beginning again and yeah. beginning again. I mean, to borrow a phrase from St. Jose Maria Escrivá, but more recently popularized by Philip Rivers, right. who, like you, has 10 kids, but is an yes. NFL star. Nunc chepi. Oh, yeah. I begin now. Yep. And then we say that probably not only today and tomorrow and the day after that, but perhaps every moment yeah. of every day for the rest of our lives. So never tire of running back to the Father of yet again believing in mercy and inviting those beliefs to make demands yeah. on our lives that lead to the integration and freedom and joy that yeah. we all long for. Ryan, as always, thank you for these poignant and powerful reminders about what it really means to be human. Uh, we're wrapping up season five. I can't wait can't to see it. what the Lord has in store next. And as always, thank you. God bless you. Yeah, let's be saints together, right? Is that what we always say? Let's yes, do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> let's go. Peace. 
You're listening to Summer Snow by Dawson Hollow. Very, very exciting because as I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned last week, they're coming into the Love Good studio on Thursday for an epic live stream concert. Probably going to be one of our best yet. It's going to be a little bit more than just, you know, the singer-songwriter that we often have coming in to play the guitar and, and, and sing, which is obviously amazing. It kind of reminds us of, well reminds me of Nashville, where I no longer live, but every coffee shop, every restaurant, every venue, all throughout Music City USA is filled with brilliant singer-songwriters strumming their guitars, singing their original songs. But Dawson Hollow is a bit more of a rock band, all right? So this is going to be a very exciting live stream, a very unprecedented one for us, with a lot of moving pieces, a lot of amazing, amazing musicianship. So tune in Thursday, go to lovegoodlive.com, all right? That's how you get the email notification. It's also how you sign up as a patron so that you can be a part of our Zoom meet and greet with Dawson Hollow after the show. Again, all of that is found at lovegoodlive.com. Nothing but love and prayers. Hope you guys are having an amazing week. And next time around, I'll be sitting down with Marisol Alisea for our final episode of season five. We'll see you then. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.